reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. Welcome to Thread, podcast designed to help you find your place in God's story. I am your host, Dr. David Pachta, with my co-host, Hannah Hello. D'Souza. Great to see Good you to today, see you. Hannah. We're uh, today talking about episode six, and our theme today is seasons and rhythms. I did want to frame this conversation in the big picture again. You know, we've created this diagram that, for those of you who are watching online, you can see and for those of you who are listening, hopefully you can download the PDF so you can have this in front of you. It's actually something I would encourage people to print out and just be able to come back to and look at. So we've broken the Old Testament down into these eight eras. And each of these eras, we're going to be talking about you know somewhere around six to eight episodes of the podcast to kind of break this down into bite-sized pieces. We are currently in era one. God's world created. And what I love about this diagram is that it actually looks at each era, but it also identifies an event that signifies the shift from one era to the next era. So this first era, what we're talking about, really covers Genesis 1 through 11. And then when Abraham is called in Genesis 12, that's really the piece that moves us from era one to era two. And then we'll enter a whole new time period of Abraham's life and the 12 patriarchs and Egyptian slavery all the way up to Moses. And then we have the next issue or not issue, the event, the exodus an issue that breaks us into the next era. So <laughs> it, it's an issue. It's, uh, it's an event. Yes, the big exodus. So that's kind of where we're going. And as we teach these episodes of Thread, we're hoping to develop a spirituality behind these biblical eras and how it all connects. So that's really what we're doing now. Of course, we talked about beauty and creation. And Hannah, why don't you explain where we're headed yeah. from here? Well, off script, I, how have you actually experienced beauty since we last talked, Dave? It's something I've been thinking about since last episode. Since we... Yeah, you know, it's it's fun even before we started today's recording. I I find so much beauty in my family, especially my grandchildren. Aww. This morning I got a chance to be on FaceTime with my granddaughter. She's <laughs> two and a half and she's visiting camp with her mom and dad Aww. and we have this game that we like to play together. And so it's it's called Mystery House. It's an iPad game with monsters and so we've named the monsters Sticky <laughs> Monster and Dancing Monster and potion monsters. So she gets really excited. I get really excited when we see each other and we get to talk about this game we play together. I, I find so Aww. much beauty in my Aww. granddaughter. I love so that. So that's, that's one way. I wish I'd hit record when I entered this call because I overheard Dave talking about sticky monsters on the phone and was very curious what that conversation was. I'm actually with my dog, right. so I don't have grandchildren or children. So this is my, she's my beauty. If you, if you guys are watching, you can see her face. That's your beauty. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Fantastic. Okay, That's so great. yes. So we have five more episodes kind of in this series that Dave spoke about. God's world created. So next week will be Light and Darkness. Then episode eight will be Becoming Fully Human. Episode nine, Human Limitations. Episode 10, The Flood. And then episode 11, Empire. And today, as Dave mentioned, we're going to address how God has structured the world with seasons and rhythms and the importance that they're meant to play in our lives. And it's a discussion that's going to revolve around Genesis 1. And we can read here in verse 14 to 15. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. This is going to be a fun conversation. So when we introduced the creation account in episode five, our last episode, we noted how in Genesis 1-2, the Bible says that the earth was formless and empty. And we talked about how in creating the cosmos, God's creation provided structure and meaning where it did not exist. So that happens in multiple ways in these first few days of creation. God did this through separating light from dark in day one, which is really a big part of what we're addressing here in the next conversation and our next episode, episode seven. But he did this also through separating heavens and earth on day two, through separating land and sea on day three. And what we're addressing today is what happened on day four. And Yahweh gave structure to time. And so when we see this passage in verses 14 and 15, we see this creation of time and seasons and rhythms. So what we see in this text is that the lights serve many purposes. They separate day from night. They serve as signs to mark sacred times. We're going to talk about that today. They serve as signs to mark the days, and they also serve as signs to mark years. They lastly give light on earth. So that concept of bringing light on earth and separating light from dark, we're going to talk about that in our next episode. What we're going to focus on today is how these lights were created to mark sacred times, days, uh, years, and to start looking at the rhythms that God built into creation. So these rhythms that God created really become important for especially the way we think about our spirituality. And it'll be fun to unpack that and see how our rhythms are affected by this structure. So, you know, God giving structure and rhythm to a day, some of these things are kind of self-evident, but I think it's important to point out that we have our sunlit hours and we have our nighttime hours. They're separate. And I think the idea of even what God does and what we do in the night and what God does and what we do in the, the nighttime is going to be important as we look at the next podcast. I think sometimes we we overly use the metaphor of light and darkness in one way, and there's another way that's really important to see it. So we'll look mm-hmm. at that next time. But the construction of a day gives our life a rhythm. And I know for myself, especially as I get older, Hannah, you have this to look <laughs> forward to, but especially as I get older, I love when nighttime comes. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I love the day, but I love the night. I love to wake up in the morning early. That's kind of become one of my important rhythms to wake up and to engage life and work. But then we also go to sleep for a set period of time and that provides renewal and a new beginning. 
So we're called to use our days for love and for fullness, to follow Jesus, to live in obedience to God, to bless the world around us. But we're also given this time to renew every night, to restart every morning, to resurrect uh, every 24 hours. There's a passage in Lamentations, and I actually think it's, it's kind of brilliant that it's in Lamentations. So Lamentations is this book of the Bible that's written during the lament of Jerusalem's fall. And the author says in Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So there's this idea that even in the midst of these tough times when we're lamenting or grieving, that there's this celebration that we get to wake up every day with a new start, a newness, and God has built that into the structure of Mm. the day. That was my favorite scripture for a long time, I think, because when I first read through the Bible, and it really took me by surprise encountering that verse in Lamentations. It kind of felt like a ray of sunlight amidst all this, yeah, dreariness of the first three chapters. But I I love that idea of like a reset with the morning. Uh, I think that's something we're going to have to tune into, even thinking as you were talking about daylight hours and nighttime hours, I think technology in a way has interfered with some of those natural rhythms. I even think the introduction of electricity, like light can now be extended. There's no end point where kind of we have to shut down or stop working. If when work was done by candlelight, that was a very, yeah, different different idea. So hundred <laughs> percent true. And and you know, a lot of doctors will tell you that the blue light that comes from our devices works very similar to daylight. We'll talk about that too next week and how that affects us in our light and darkness conversation. But you're right. So that rhythm can get broken in the day. God also gives structure and rhythm to a week. So part of what is just implicit in the creation account is we see seven days of creation. So we capture in this creation account itself a structure of a given week. So we see God working for six separate days. He accomplished beautiful things. He even comments in this text, he saw that it was good. So we see God doing good work on these six individual days. Then he sets apart the seventh day as different from the other days. It says in Genesis 2, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished his work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there's some really interesting words here to pick up on in this verse, God's finishing and God's resting. Those are two separate concepts. To stop working and to rest are two different things. So rest here begins to paint an image that comes to mean much more than taking a nap, right? (laughs) Mm. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because he rested from his work. So blessed is this idea of adoring or praising this day that has been set aside, but holy is this idea of removing it from common use or consecrating it, making it sacred. Hmm. So I noticed the word Sabbath isn't actually used yet here, but this is kind of the foundation, I'm guessing, for that practice, right? 
Yeah, that's right. So we'll get to that. Actually, in the Exodus, right after the Exodus is where God introduces the concept of Sabbath as he establishes his people. And so in some ways, we're going to see this parallel to creation and to God's creating a nation. He, as he's creating all of the universe, he builds some foundations and some rhythms. As he creates his nation in Exodus 12 and beyond, we start seeing some seasons and rhythms he builds in there. So we'll talk about that too more hmm. as we get there. So I'm quite convicted by this idea of knowing when to finish. Like even you spoke about God finishing creation and mm -hmm. he knew when he'd ended it. Even doing this podcast, I'm realizing to say when something is finished is going to be a challenge for me. Like we've done something, I'm like, no, right. I feel like we should do that again. Or that wasn't the best. But I also, I see that same spirit of kind of trust and confidence in Jesus too in the gospels. Like he knows when his preaching is done, when, when to finish healing, even though not everyone is healed. And when his ultimate work is finished. He knows that too. And even those final words, it is finished, I think are so powerful. Yeah, there's always more that can be done, but knowing when to say something is finished, I think is such a, is a strength. But I, I love that you've also distinguished between not working and resting. Like those are different concepts. I think mm -hmm. sometimes we can even not really truly know how to rest or even confuse, for example, scrolling through our phones as like, that's not actual rest maybe it's a break from work but that's not resting for kind of your spirit or your soul a previous episode Amber, i asked you about what it means to be spiritual and correct me i think you talked about being attentive and like being present that's kind of a definition of spirituality did, yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah even being awake being aware mm -hmm. yeah i think that's even one of those something that my generation in particular, but I think everyone just with the introduction of technologies, that's going to be a struggle in some ways, that intrusion. Yeah, just being present to, to spiritual things, having enough silence and solitude even without these intrusions to, to be awake to God and how he might be speaking to us in, in whispers. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, part of, part of what's fun about the podcast, Hannah, to me is that but we're of different generations. <laughs> I've been on the earth a few more years than you have. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so I know as a person like yourself who grew up in a generation completely immersed in technology, it can be really challenging to find a way to build this into your life. So mm. are there any things that you have found to be helpful as you navigate this aspect of finding a place to rest or how mm. to rest or how to create those rhythms that, that you would share that you think are helpful? Oh, it's definitely something I'm still working on. I think with every new season in life, you're having to figure out what do these practices look like for me now. Something I've gotten the practice of doing is taking retreats every so often when I can. The last two birthdays I've escaped on retreat. I was with nuns actually in Maine for my last birthday at a retreat center, which I needed, no technology. And then a few months ago, and this was in Boston, there's a retreat house led by uh, monks actually, and it's a silent retreat house. So you go there, no conversation, no technology. I think those are good kind of radical resets, but that's not 
daily life. And so even what that looks like daily is something I'm figuring out. There was a time in, I think I was in high school and I used to strictly use a physical alarm clock and keep my phone out of my bedroom just so that those morning hours weren't stolen by scrolling through emails and texts. And I think I want to get back to that habit again. There's a book that I read a couple years ago that's been I would recommend by Ruth Haley Barton, who's an author I really love, but it's called Sacred Rhythms. And she talks about this idea of protecting what's most important to us. And there's a quote, it is about technology, actually. She writes, what feels like being available and accessible is really a boundaryless existence that offers no protection for those things that are most precious to us. What feels like convenience is actually robbing us of those things we value most which is so true. But I think what's encouraging recently, I was having coffee with some friends yesterday, but I think all of us, I'm sensing a shift in my generation and even younger of wanting to fight against that current of technology sapping kind of your time and your life and kind of that busyness culture. I have some friends that have replaced smartphones with dumb phones, they call them, <laughs> and kind of things like that. So, But it's definitely not something that's going to happen by accident, and it takes intentionality for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, uh, that recognition. It's really a recognition of the roles that spiritual disciplines play, and, and we'll get into this concept of spiritual disciplines as we move along. At its core... The idea of a spiritual discipline is something that we choose to do or a discipline that we enter into our life or put into practice that helps us to hold to or shape the kind of life that we want to live instead of life happening to us. It's like you said, that intentionality. So those are some really great examples. It is a spiritual discipline to put your phone down or to put into all those things that you just did. So yeah, God gives structure here to days, to, to weeks. He also gives structure and rhythm to the year here. So the lights in the sky serve to mark the years. We really see this get more color when God is creating and structuring and giving meaning to the nation, as we talked about after Exodus 12. We'll spend some significant time with this idea when we get there, specifically in that 40 years in the wilderness, when God is structuring, creating, building his nation, Israel. But for our purposes here, you know, what's interesting is the way that God addresses the concept here of sacred times. So sacred times here really represents the concept of a festival, a holiday, a period of time set aside to meet a specific need that is outside of ordinary time. It's, it's something distinguished or different from the ordinary. So when we talk about sacred times or appointed times, this is a notion of fixing something in time for a specific purpose. And of course, we're talking here about for a spiritual reason. So when we look at Leviticus, when we get to Leviticus, which does happen in that period of the 40 years in the desert where God is establishing Israel, God gives them this annual calendar of what they're supposed to remember each year. And so, for, again, for those who are looking online, this is a picture of the liturgical calendar. So liturgy is the idea of something that happens in a rhythm. So when we talk about a church that follows a liturgy, 
they follow a specific rhythm of how they have their worship. When we talk about a liturgical calendar, we're talking about a calendar that follows a specific rhythm. So this is a picture of the the Israelite calendar, the Jewish calendar, and this is still followed today by those who practice Judaism. And so you'll see on this all the different aspects, starting with the Passover, which was the first one implemented in Exodus 12, but moving around to Pentecost and Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, and all the other festivals that are recognized or celebrated in an annual year. The church, now when I say church, when I mean church here, I'm referring to capital C church, the big picture overall people of God over the last 2,000 years, for many, many centuries has followed a similar calendar, a liturgical calendar, that moves through six seasons. And I know that in some traditions, some circles, even the ones that Hannah and I are part of, we don't necessarily celebrate these but I'm finding more and more people are recognizing the role and importance that they play. So there are six basic seasons or kind of core seasons to a liturgical calendar from a Christian perspective. The Christian liturgical calendar starts with Advent, which is the celebration of the coming of Jesus as a baby. So it's a time to prepare before Christmas, the birth of Jesus which is celebrated during the Christmas season. So that's the second season. So we have Advent one, Christmas season is number two. The Christmas season carries over until ordinary time starts back up, which is the third season. And that happens after Epiphany. Epiphany is a word that many people may not be familiar with. It's actually another word for theophany or the appearance of God. So this is typically put on the calendar on January 6th and it, it, remembers or symbolizes the time that the wise men came to see God in the flesh. So this appearance of God, this epiphany, is celebrated on January 6th. Then we enter ordinary time for a number of months until Lent begins. And Lent starts on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, I always found as a really fascinating holiday. And, you know, for me, working at a Catholic seminary. I actually got my PhD to Catholic seminary. And on campus, they would, of course, they have masses in multiple chapels. And I always like to attend the Ash Wednesday service because I love the symbolism of from dust we come and to dust we shall return. And there's something really spiritual and profound about that recognition. So that's what Ash Wednesday is. It's a time to celebrate and think about that. And then we enter this Lenten season, which is preparation for the resurrection, which is celebrated at Easter. And then the Easter season goes until the Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection. And that's the Acts 2 image of the Holy Spirit coming, the Pentecost coming, and the birth of the church as we now kind of look at it and know it. And then after Pentecost, we return to ordinary time until we get back to the Advent season. So I know that's <laughs> that's a lot to process. I think for some of some people who come out of those liturgical kind of traditions, they've they known some of this as they've mm. grown up and practiced some of this. But you know, for some, they're just unfamiliar with that tradition right. in the church. 
Yeah, I think my experience as you're walking through those, I was trying to think. I remember friends participating in Lent in school. So I joined every now and then and gave up sweets or something, candy for 40 days. And then we had, I don't know if you celebrate, so Shrove Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday in the UK, it's pancake day. So that was a big thing in our house, making pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. I don't know what correlation that has to to Ash Wednesday, really. (laughs) But I think it's interesting, Dave, you talked about a lot of churches don't follow the liturgical calendar. And of course, that's not been my experience. So we can often see these kind of festivals and seasons as maybe like relics of a past era, of a past time, or maybe not serving a purpose today. Is that thinking maybe misplaced or what understanding should they should they play in our spiritual lives today? You know, that's the interesting question that I think even for many people who are listening to our podcast, they're, they may ask the question, well, what are you saying that we need to have liturgical calendar? And I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for that, but I also am saying some people have really come to find the value of practicing a liturgical calendar to take the time to really process and think. So I want to come back to your Shrove Tuesday. <laughs> oh, There's okay. a reason for Tell that. Me. There's actually a Yeah. So so you even said, and, and it's funny how these things get interpreted. So the idea of Lent, part of the practice that has become a tradition of Lent is to fast from something for 40 days in preparation of the coming of mm-hmm. the resurrection. So the idea of fasting, of course, is deeply biblical. We see fasting all throughout scripture. So fasting takes on multiple kinds of approaches. I mean, historically, fasting could mean going for a period of time without eating or drinking. In the Catholic tradition, that included not eating meat on Fridays. And again, it's a recognition of taking something out of your life as a spiritual discipline to recognize blessing or gift that we have. And when we remove it, we come to appreciate, right? So you you even said in your example, as a (laughs) child, some of my friends would have to fast from candy over the 40 days. And maybe that was imposed by their parents as a good excuse. But the idea of Shrove Tuesday was, this is our last chance to eat candy before we don't get candy for 40 (laughs) days. Well, in your case, it got transferred into pancakes. I mean, they're pretty sweet, right? Let's have pancakes. The idea Mm -hmm. of Mardi Gras, it's a similar concept. Let's have a celebration before we go into this time of purgation. Let's celebrate before we fast. And, you know, some Christians do that. Let's have a big meal before we fast tomorrow and or we fast for three days. So I'm going to go out for my favorite dinner. So that's kind of where that comes from, where that starts. So to your question, I would say, yeah, I think there's really great value in I think there's great value in preparing yourself for four weeks to think about the birth of Jesus and just the spiritual place that can put you. Or there's great value in celebrating the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And let's take a day on Epiphany to think about that. Or let's take a day to think about the fact that we come from dust and to dust we shall return. So I certainly see great spiritual value in the liturgical calendar, but I'm not saying we should mandate it for some traditions. Definitely spiritual so, value in pancakes now. So let's <laughs> see. No, I you didn't. You didn't know there was I'll, this great spiritual <laughs> lesson in why we indulge in pancake eating. eating. Them next year. 
Yeah. So let's let's talk about seasons. So one way that rhythms appear when we talk specifically about the annual cycle of rhythms, we get into the concept of seasons. Seasons really play out in a couple ways. So we can look at them as reflected in the liturgical calendar, the way we've just discussed it. We also see it in the harvest cycle, right? So we all know that if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, particularly, there's a time to plant and there's a time to water and there's a time to harvest. We plant in the spring, we, we water and we weed in the summer, we harvest in the fall. And why do we do that? Why do we follow that cycle? Because when winter comes, if you didn't harvest, you starve, right? In the ancient world, not even so ancient, maybe in the pre-modern world. So seasons play out in multiple ways. There's a lot of spiritual writers over the last 2000 years that have looked a lot too at seasons of life. So when we look at, I mean, we would agree and acknowledge biologically, there's certain things we go through at certain stages of our life or seasons of life. We all go through infancy. We all learn how to walk. We all have puberty. We all become adults. Um, hopefully, at least, we all become adults. We all enter those middle years where they're generative years, where we're working, we're building families, making friends. And then we all enter those golden years. So we can look at that as seasons of life as well. And that's going to be another thing that comes up a lot as we talk about development and spirituality. And we'll introduce concepts you know, in future episodes about how the ancients have thought about this and how contemporary spiritual writers think about this and ways that I think are helpful for us to think about that. So what I thought we would do here, Hannah, in our last few minutes would be just to kind of briefly talk about how our spirituality follows the importance of these patterns. Certainly daily, you know, there's there's importance in how we develop these disciplines or follow these rhythms. Daily, we, we wake up and we go to bed at certain times and rhythms. So when you travel internationally, one of the things that everyone recognizes is if I move multiple time zones, it throws off my sleep pattern or sleep rhythm. Um, eating patterns, you know, we follow a, a, a pattern of how we eat our meals. Spiritual practices, we've kind of talked about the dailiness of the importance of patterns. For me, I, I love, I wake up every day between five and six, I make a cup of coffee, I come down into my space, I spend time with God, I start work at eight. So I need that daily rhythm. So we also have weekly patterns in our spirituality of how many hours we work or go to school, of how we think about planning out our shopping or our meals when we do laundry, how we work in exercise. When we see community, our spiritual community, and you know the importance of integrating Sabbath into that, even starting when I started my PhD program, I, I felt like I had so much work to do that I was trying to maintain this seven-day-a-week schedule of study, and I found I couldn't do it. I just, without taking a day off and resting, I wasn't productive. So I know I recognize that, but also you know the, the importance of annual patterns taking time for holidays, making time in the rhythm of the year to see family, celebrating birthdays. I celebrate every year my spiritual birthday, the day I made that commitment to Jesus. And I keep a, I actually keep a spreadsheet. Of course you do. 
<laughs> spreadsheet. That I revisit. <laughs> of I course I do. Yeah. Is that what you said? Of course I do. Dave That's loved, okay. Dave is no. a nerd. It's just true. strengths. Yeah. Yeah. So in my personal Christian history spreadsheet every year on my spiritual birthday, I just reflect on what God has done in my life over that last year. And it's so helpful for me to think about, you know, how God has moved. So, yeah, I just think it's important to recognize that these, you know, daily, weekly, annual, and even seasons of life patterns. So we'll get into this, this idea of, you know, building our essential discipleship as we get grounded in our spiritual life to moving into the generative years where we really give give, give, give to our family, our community, our careers, that generative stage of our discipleship to what should it look like in those last stages, that radical discipleship of empty nesters when we've, we've made our careers and our money and we've launched our families and what can our spiritual life look like in that season of life. So these are all things that we hope to get into over the next couple of years together. Mm. I think this is a really important conversation kind of this idea of seasons and even as you talked about the daily the weekly the annually the things that make up our lives and rhythms as well and I like that we're using that word rhythm as opposed to maybe rules or something else because I think it speaks to the fluidity in different seasons and different lifestyles even with different people's personalities I think this might look different like these concepts will look different for me as a student and single compared to my sister as a young child as having another one and all to you as you mentioned being an empty nester and the different responsibilities you have i'm i've been thinking a bit more recently about having like a rule of life and i know that kind of phrase you can probably give more context to what that means but kind of has its roots in monasticism and kind of contemplative practices but it's kind of like the frameworks you adopt to structure your daily life in a way that can cultivate deeper connection with God. And it's not meant to be legalistic, but kind of it is like a framework for freedom, really. And going back to the book I mentioned earlier, Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton speaks about cultivating a rule of life and how it kind of pivots around two central questions. Who do I want to be and how do I want to live so I can be who I want to be, which I think are important questions to sit with and kind of structure life around. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I love that idea of the rule of life. I, the, that, is, that would be an interesting thing to discuss in a future podcast, what that is. And there's a lot more conversation around that idea now. And it is recognizing exactly what you just said. A rule is meant to be this kind of structure, disciplines we live by to help us accomplish the spiritual things that we want to accomplish. So it's probably a good place for us to end this week. I know um, there's a lot here to chew on and think about. And in some ways, this, this might be a really basic discussion about the importance of a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm. So there is a, a very simplistic side to this conversation, but it's also really hard to make sure oh, it's definitely. in practice. Yeah, profound, right? actually. Yeah. In all the ways it needs yeah. to be. So, amen. So, so next week, We'll talk about, if in our episode seven, we're going to jump into light and darkness. And I'm, I'm excited about this conversation, light and darkness, because I think we've come, many Christians have come to understand it in one way and completely miss 
a whole other way of thinking about it. Mm, so definitely. as a teaser, tune in for the <laughs> next episode. I think you'll find it really interesting. Anyway, great to see you today, Hannah. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm waiting on here, I get a better view of this boundless world that I